The Open Nesters is a weekly podcast focusing on couples and individuals who are looking for new beginnings after their kids have left the nest. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Maria Leonard Olson. My children blame me for the demise of my 25-year marriage, and I'm living my amends to them by staying sober, by um, mentoring other women who have alcohol and addiction and abuse problems, and um, by living the best life that I can. That's the only thing I can do because my kids do not want to hear my verbal amends. They are not open to that. They are in their 20s. I get it. But every day that I live as a sober woman working on becoming my best version is my living amends to my children. And I hope someday that they will forgive me. I found this fabulous guest, Maria Leonard Olson, just searching on Facebook and on, online for her, her book was 50 After 50, Reframing the Next Chapter. And then I heard her TEDx talk and then found out she's a litigator. She's brilliant. She's truly using life challenges as a force for good. And you will love this interview. You told me about her, Tessa, and I'm looking forward to listening to this interview. So let's hear it from Marie Leonard Olson. Welcome to the Open Nesters podcast, Marie Leonard Olson. This is a true delight for me already having chatted with you. How are you today? I'm well. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Well, we're going to do a little podcast exchange because I think we both have a lot of admiration for each other. And Maria has done not only TED Talks that have inspired me, but does a, has a book of 50 After 50 that really took off. And it's it's this, I'm going to let you talk about it a little bit and then get right into um, what how that helped you fly and how that helped you ground and how you are in your life with your children now and your whole kind of arc of however you want to start, whatever comes up for you is always my favorite thing. Thank you. It's a lot. Uh, at age 50, I got divorced, sober from alcoholism, became an empty nester and was living alone for the first time in my life. I had to change just about everything in my life. And uh, as a gift to myself for my 50th birthday, I decided to dry try 50 new things to determine how I wanted to live the next chapter of my life. And those things ranged from spiritual endeavors, physical challenges, adventure travel, learning and teaching, social activities, and lifestyle changes. And each one taught me something about who I really was and who I wanted to be. And it set the course for this chapter of my life, writing a new story. I'm now 58 years old, working on 60 After 60. The book uh, that I published is called 50 After 50, Reframing the Next Chapter of Your Life. It's available on Amazon. Any bookstore can, op- can order it and any library can order it as well. And every truly, time I truly give, an open nester story. So I love that. That's, that's what that's what drew indeed, me to you. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and uh, every time I give a book talk, or I recently did a TEDx talk at City University of New York, 
about turning my life's challenges into a force for good, drawing from my experiences in 50 after 50. And every time I talk about it, women primarily approach me in tears saying things like, I can't believe you said that out loud. You don't know how much you have helped me. I'm too scared to try some of the things you tried, but I don't feel so alone now. And I have um, social media outlets like everyone does, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's at 50 after 50, F-I-F-T-Y after, and the number 50, in which women contact me and tell me their life challenges, sometimes posting about what new they have tried in this chapter to rewrite their story, because Sometimes we can't control what happens in our lives, but we can control our responses to that stimulus, and we can write a new story. Each of us has the capacity to focus on what's good in our lives, and that which we focus on becomes magnified. So I choose every day to focus on what's good in my life, the progress I am making, I have jettisoned my perfectionistic tendencies in favor of progress, not perfection. Oh, I love that. Thank you for that kind of that was a beautiful summation that brings up so many great questions. <laughs> so first of all, even about what women have found and so anyone out there listening for themselves, that what are the things that 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 um they're so that was the most uncomfortable for you in those 50 things. And what inspires people the most, do you think, over that in that journey? Well, the, the one thing that was the most uncomfortable is kind of silly, but it became a, a potent lesson in my life. And that is my son is actually a conservatory trained singer, dancer, and actor. And I've watched him on stage for 20 some years and uh, shout out to Chris Olson on TikTok. It's at Chris. If you want to follow him, (laughs) he's incredibly talented and funny. Anyway, I've watched him on stage belting out show tunes in various venues. And I always wondered what if they had had drama in my high school? What if I sang on stage and I've never done it? So I went to an open mic night in the Washington area where I didn't know anyone. And I got up on stage and sang. And my children cover their ears when mommy sings because my singing is terrible. He did not get that strength (laughs) from me. So I left the stage to one applause. And I said to myself, I will never do that again. However, I felt the fear And I did it anyway. So for me, that was a lesson in the fact that fear, while uncomfortable, will not kill me. And I can move through fear and scary things in my life and do it anyway. So while it sounds like an insignificant thing to try to go to an open mic night and sing, (laughs) it really helped me in my journey to becoming of the best version of me that I can be at a given time. Beautiful. And what's some of your favorite um, other ones that you feel like offer well, so much? Sure. Yeah. 
the most impactful lifestyle change is that I surround myself intentionally with people who bring out the best in me, people who encourage me, who are not threatened by the sometimes woo-woo things that I have adopted in my life as a mainstream litigation attorney. It seems somewhat uh, a strange juxtaposition that Maria Olson, formerly PTA chair, Eucharistic minister, and one of the biggest Catholic churches in the Washington diocese, now goes to sweat lodges, now goes on retreats with women such as Women of the Wild, in which we howl at the moon, dance around, yeah, uh, sometimes naked, around yeah. a campfire, <laughs> and we have a, a great deal of hearing impaired and deaf women who attend that particular retreat. And they taught us the sign language for both vagina and pussy. So we held up our hands and yelled, we are strong women. This is our pussy, like whatever. We, it just felt so freeing. And my Catholic girl school friends say to me, you did what? <laughs> and it was freeing. It felt like I was dropping the shackles of what held me down for so long, having to do with the punitive Catholicism of pre-Vatican II Catholicism, which ex excommunicated my parents in 1969 for getting divorced. But yet my parents still made me and my brother go to parochial school for eight years, Catholic high school, and then Jesuit college. I am fully indoctrinated in the Catholic church, despite the fact that my parents were kicked out of the church. There were girls who were forbidden to come to my house because my parents had been thrown out of the church. My father would drop my brother and me off Every Sunday at Catholic Church, we would be surrounded by the large Irish and Italian families and feel like freaks. But that was my life. And I have a lot of shedding to do in this chapter of my life of um, man, what I consider to be man-made mistakes in the Catholic Church that held me down for so many years. And while I say this, I still find great comfort in the ritual of Catholicism. I still say certain Catholic prayers, but I consider myself a Unitarian Universalist uh, because of their social justice platform and their acceptance of anything that one wants to believe. And the fact that my son is a proud gay man, we... I put him in Catholic school for the first <laughs> five years of his life. Like, what the heck? Why did I do that? In any event, the, <laughs> the biblical studies, being conversant with the Bible has helped him in his drama performances because biblical stories are so weaved within our cultures, art, news, books, everything goes back in some measure to biblical stories. So I don't 100% regret that uh, my kids were in Catholic school, but when it became crystal clear that he was gay and they were starting to talk about um, being gay is a sin or rather acting on being gay is a sin, I went to the Monsignor and said, 
I'm sorry. I mean, my son is gay and I can't leave him here if you're going to teach that being gay is a sin. And he said, oh, Maria, we don't teach that being gay is a sin. Acting on your gay impulses is a sin. And I said, so you are saying that one should not exercise their human impulses to stay a good Catholic? Are you trying to say that every couple in my pre-Cana class who lived together were not having sex? And he said, well, that is our teaching. And I said, that is a fiction. Every person in my pre-Cana, that is a pre-marriage class that one has to take if you're going to get married in the Catholic Church, was having sex, Father. And he said, well, you're never going to hear me say this outside of this room, but all of us have friends and family who are gay, but we can't condone it. I can't condone it as a as the Monsignor of this church. I said, OK, well, you'll understand that we're leaving. And he said, I understand, Maria. I, I understand. I and love that, that you're looking at things right in the face and just looking at them with big and open eyes that you you certainly have as I look at you today. And I, so you, how many other kids do you have just to catch us up on that? Right. I have an older daughter who is 26. She lives in Chicago and she works in the nonprofit arena. And so, so back to like, I know that with all the evolution and you seeing things with the light that they can be, <clears throat> so you can bring your best version into your life, which I know you are all about. There's the imperfections and the things that we're still learning and the real heart and pain that we do deal with. So we spoke about it a little bit offline If because I always think it's hopeful for people to know that the journey was never, you know, we have to go through the journey. So yes. what you had to go through when you got divorced or when you got sober or. Sure, sure. I'm very open about some of the life traumas that I've gone through. They're pretty much set out in my last book. I had another life trauma, which I'll talk about later, that will be the subject of my next book and my next TED, TEDx talk, which is scheduled for May, uh, May 18th at the Kennedy Center. Uh, the title of that talk is Product of a One Night Stand, The Pandora's Box of DNA Testing. I found out at age 55 that I am the product of a one night stand. Catholic Maria, who believed her, she was the product of an Irish Catholic father and a Filipina mom, both Catholics before they were excommunicated, um, is really half Ashkenazi Jew, genetically speaking. So, and this man, who it took me a year to find, is someone who had been on the big and small screens, television and movies that I had watched for my entire life. I have seen my father on TV and in movies from a very young age until uh, four years ago, he didn't know that he had any children in the world. Oh my God. He has never married. He is 88 years old right now. And we have an excellent, excellent loving relationship. He wow. lives in San Diego across the country he has a really great sense of humor. When he found out about me, he passed out cigars. His friends sent him It's a Girl cards. 
Oh, we talk weekly. I we laugh at the same time. This is so we beautiful. Talk weekly. I'm going to my uh-uh. first seder this of oh. uh, this season. I went to Israel to try to investigate this part of my genetic heritage, and while I will am unlikely to convert at this point, I am learning about Judaism and. This man and I, this man who I call Pops now, I have so much more in common with him than I did with the father who raised me. It is in some ways a blessing that my birth certificate father, that's what we call them in the misattributed parentage um, community, my birth certificate father passed in 2007, and it is a blessing that he didn't know the truth. I personally believe that he knew on some level because we had a very fraught relationship. He was a broken man when my mother left him and in his drunken rages would mistake me for my mother and cry and say, Angeline, why did you leave me? It was very confusing and um, difficult childhood. However, it has informed my work today in helping people who come from alcoholic homes. I'm a very proud and active member in AA, Al-Anon, and Adult Children of Alcoholics. And I believe that my experience has equipped me to help other people navigate some of this very fraught terrain. If you like this episode, you'll also love other episodes on our website under the Listen tab. Scroll down to our open nester category. But other things that I talked about in the first book include um, going to rehab. I went to five rehabs because I am a stubborn alcoholic. And in sure um, a lot of people can relate in recovery, we learned that one has to give over control to something bigger than themselves in order to really be free of the demons of alcohol and addiction. And I was unwilling to do that. It took me about a year and five rehabs to finally let go. And the 12-step programs are not, they're not religious programs. They are spiritual in nature. And what that means is that your higher power who many people choose to call God, can be anything. It can be the doorknob when you walk in. For many people, and for myself included, it was the group, the group of people who loved me until I could love myself. So I went to five different rehabs. Finally, at the last one, uh, let go of trying to control everything that was going on in my life. And in that fifth rehab, my then husband called and said, don't come home because I don't want to be married to you anymore. And I said, I'm finally well, please give me a chance. But he had had enough and he had to put up his own boundary. I don't blame him. I understand at that time he was in a 12-step program and he said all the right words. He had to protect his heart. I get it. My children blame me for the demise of my 25-year marriage, and I'm living my amends to them by staying sober, by um, mentoring other women who have alcohol and addiction and abuse problems, 
and um, by living the best life that I can. That's the only thing I can do because my kids do not want to hear my verbal amends. They are not open to that. They are in their 20s. I get it. But every day that I live as a sober woman working on becoming my best version is my living amends to my children. And I hope someday that they will forgive me. Taking all of it in to really send that high vibration out there because it's so honest and beautiful and so much teaching just in what you've said. It's enormous, just enormous. And I thank you for that. I mean, is there anything else as far as the dark night of the soul during that fifth rehab or whenever else or the divorce that was cathartic for you or that you can share the story of? Because sometimes that arc can really be somebody something and relate to. Definitely. One of the rehabs I attended, well, the first one I attended was for alcoholics and addicts. And in talking to the therapist to which I was assigned, I was very honest. I knew at least that I had to be honest about the skeletons and the demons in order to get well. So I shared with her that I had been sexually abused from ages seven to nine by someone close to our family. And um, I was not someone who was able to express anger at that time. And not expressing anger is like holding a beach ball underwater. It takes a tremendous amount of psychic and emotional energy, and it pops up when you're not vigilant. So it popped up in various parts of my life. I would lash out at my, primarily my then husband, if he triggered me unwittingly about something. And um, it manifested in drinking down my troubles. I was up to two bottles of wine a day. Uh, he was starting to find the bottles and um, I was driving while drunk. I thank my higher power that I never got a DUI or DWI and I never killed someone because I know plenty of people in the rooms who have killed people while drinking or driving drunk. I mean, while drinking or drugging drunk. So I told her this and she said, Maria, until you fully process what happened to you as a child, the boundaries that were violated when you were in a crucial developmental stage, we believe you cannot become well. So it is our recommendation that we send you to a rehab for people who have been sexually abused or sexually assaulted. One in four American women will have been sexually assaulted in their lifetimes. And those are reported statistics, which may not account for all the people like me who kept the secret for decades. So she sent me to a rehab outside Nashville. And I lived with 12 other women who had been the victims of incest, um, sexual abuse, rape, and I felt for the first time in my life that I was not a freak, that there are other women who have had worse things happen to them. And um, in those 45 days, I allowed other women to bear witness to my truth, to what happened to me as a child. I was also rape, date raped in high school that I never told anyone about. And I shared that 
and uh, we cried every day. They called me the human water sprinkler. <laughs> um, they let me take the therapist there actually gave me a baseball bat and let me smash a, tele- a television to smithereens. Wow. And that was cathartic. I I now know that um, processing rage is important for me. I frequently take pillows and whack them against the couch to get some rage out Um, because my unexpressed rage manifested in a catatonic depression for almost a year after my father died. That wasn't healthy. My friends and family said I was a ghost of myself. I had suicidal ideation and was taken to the hospital where the therapist who was charged with clearing me to go home sexually assaulted me. I didn't tell anyone because I wanted to get out. I was afraid that my children were going to be taken from me. So I stayed I stayed as stone cold, rigid as I could and let my mind go somewhere else while he ran his hands over my body. And then I said, are you done? And he said, yeah. And I said, can I go home now? And he said, yeah. So I didn't even report him. And then two years later, I was in an AA meeting in the same area. It was a vacation area. And I said that what happened A woman came up to me after the meeting and said, my husband is a police officer. I would like to help you and find out if this man is still practicing. She went to the, her husband, the police officer went to the mental health um, care place. There was only one. It was an Island and inquired. The man had been charged with sexually abusing children and was no longer on the island. He was a fugitive two years after what he did to me. I don't know if they ever caught him. I don't know. So you seem to be someone who is um, revealing the world and, and some of its shadows while you go toward the light, like in a way that is so profound. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I I spoke at the National March to End Rape Culture, and I didn't say all of those stories, but I said a few. And I was surrounded by young women who appeared to be in their 20s when I left the stage, and they were crying and saying, I've never told anyone about my rape. I've never told anyone about this, about that. And I said, honey, you don't have to be alone. Here's my card. Call me anytime you want. And so I believe that higher power, the universe, whatever it is that I personally believe I can't understand as a human, that in limited capacity of my brain, there is something out there that's bigger than me that is trying, sending me the lessons until I learn them. And I have learned certain lessons and I'm paying it forward to anyone who wants to hear it. So we could just leave it at that as we wind down, or I just want to make sure that you have as much space as you need to say anything else that you'd like to make sure people know about if they've gone through any of the things that you've mentioned or any any inspirational message that you'd like to leave. Well, thank you so much, because I didn't know about the resources that existed 
before I went through rehab. I thought I was a freak. I thought that there's no one out there like me. And if anyone knew these things, they would run from me. But the fact of the matter is, so many people carry similar, similar baggage. And you don't have to suffer alone. You don't. And if you're too embarrassed to go in person, as I was, to a 12-step program or to um, a therapist, nowadays, one gift of the pandemic is you can do it online. Nobody has to see. There are suicide hotlines. There are prayer hotlines. There are therapists who will see you online. Go to psychologytoday.com. And they will, uh, they have a listing that sets forth people's specialties. I personally found um, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and dialectical behavioral therapy to be very helpful for me in the initial stages of processing the stages of grief and anger. Um, and you can, I was in a women's group that helped me, gave me some really potent tools for feeling the feelings that I denied myself for so long, riding the wave of emotion and not having to drink it down. I can feel them now and I know how to meditate. I know how to practice deep breathing. So avail yourself of um, the meditations online, the affirmations online, the gurus who give freely on YouTube or TEDx talks or TED talks about what helped them overcome trauma. Look for my TEDx talk, which is called Over um, 50 Over 50. Um, no, my book is called 50, 50 After, After 50, 50 Reframing the Chapter, the Next Chapter of Your Life. That And my TED talk is called using life's challenges as a force for good. And I believe that TEDx talk has the capacity to help a lot of people not feel so alone. So take a look, hit the like button because that moves it up in the algorithm so other people can see it. Um, and we'll have in. all those links mm-hmm. on our blog. All the yeah, things go to my website and, and you'll see what uh, I speak at a lot of um, summits for women. I have the Empty Nest Loss or Opportunity Series coming up, the Midlife Uprising Summit, just go to my website and you can see where I'm speaking. And really reach out to me on my website. MariaOlson.com. There already is a MariaOlson.com. She's a horror film actor. But anyway, (laughs) reach out to me. Uh, It is part of my, my life's passion, my mission to help other people not feel so alone. And because of my history, I prefer to work with women. Um, I'm hypervigilant about men still, but um, I prefer to work with women and sending out good energy and love. And Tessa, I am so happy our paths have crossed. We are some twin flames on the journey toward whatever we're supposed to be. Well, I know that we will be intersecting more and I look forward to being a guest on your podcast as well. And that we will, I have a feeling, find ways to collaborate and bring more light in the world because your your path is just so inspiring to me. Thank you, as is yours. I agree. Goodbye now. Before we summarize this incredible interview with Marie Leonard Olson, here is a snippet of our next week episode with... Moira Cormack. But going into the vagina and developing a relationship with pussy for women is revolutionary, radical, 
magical and life-changing. It is how to be vibrant. It is how to be alive. And from that place, you attract. You know, the, the feminine magnetizes. So, you know, when you are alive in your own body, and your body is the energy flows through your body. You, you, you walk down the street, whatever age you are, and people will turn and look at you. Tessa, you told me a lot about uh, Maria Olson, and you were right. She's a very unique and very special woman. Her resilience and how she turned literally lemons to martinis and other wonderful mm. drinks mm. is really profound it's really wonderful to see and hear somebody that uh, is really self-made and now she's an author she's a ted ted talk uh speaker it's incredible to see and i you know some of the lessons about some hardships that we go through and what that requires for us and what it required for her to find others in the communities that she found that will love us until we can love ourselves. And she went to five rehabs. And I mean, her story is quite, is just phenomenal to talk about how, how we can overcome and how we can progress in our lives rather than thinking about having a, the perfect life. Because when we look back and we're completely present, how do we find ways to keep ourselves in a, Aging in, in with, the, with the grace of life. And that's why I think the interview is very relevant to the Open Nesters audience that we have that relates to them. It's, it's really reinventing yourself. And 50 Things After 50 is really an example of uh, how this can be done. Yeah, she mentions the singing that she did, but she has so many great things in her book that I talked to her and chatted her about as well. She she went to so many countries, and she's just tried a lot of new things, and you definitely want to look into that book to inspire you through those hardships that she spoke of today, that there's so much more next. And the TED Talks are absolutely, simply awesome and inspiring. So... If you like this, you can find some more episode on our website, The Open Nesters Podcast. That's The Open Nesters with double N in the middle, S at the end, and dot com. We'd love to hear from you. Go ahead and listen. Leave us a comment. Write us a review. Whatever. It's a if very you know robust. Of any, if you know anyone who has a great story as well, Absolutely. please let us know and share these stories far and wide. We thank you so much for helping us grow into becoming a really relevant podcast that we are so excited about having you as an audience. And thank you. Absolutely. Till next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we will see you on the next episode. Ciao. have been listening to the open nesters podcast a production of kiwi publishing and media executive producer tessa crone music by yoni avi patat audio engineering by lucid sound web design and blogs pj ewing this podcast is available on all podcast platforms to learn more about each episode and guest please visit us at theopennesters.com for questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.